accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We are continuing our coverage of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are up to the sixth episode of the third season. It is called The Abandoned. First aired on the 31st of October, 1994. Halloween, I guess, right? Yes, Halloween, I think. Anyway, uh, written by Thomas Mayo and Steve Warneck. Directed by Avery Brooks, Commander Sisko behind the camera. In this episode, Quirk finds an abandoned Jem'Hadar child and Odo is the only person who can control him. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Welcome back to the Dominion-themed uh, episodes. They've been in the background for a couple episodes. This one actually deals with it, although I suppose you could still say that the Dominion are in the background for this one. But how are you? I'm good. Uh, I was impressed that they managed to work in a backdoor pilot for the spinoff series, Jake Sisko Fuck Machine. <laughs> you know... Because, I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. He's... Come I mean, on. I, there's a um something's wrong with a 20 year old woman who's dating a 14 year old right is he i thought is he i thought they said he was 16 not that that helps but <laughs> you're yes you're right like the, well, the was... age disparity is so disparity is so clear like yes. he looks like a child <laughs> Like a was. like a tall, gangly child, but a child. And he's and that woman that woman is not twenty. <laughs> he's just motorboating the fuck out of her. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> there there are some deep seated either mother or possibly son related issues between them that are just well, I, marinating into a stinky stew. I mean, Jake Jake has a bit of an awkward relationship with his father because I continue to just find their father-son interactions occasionally too erotic like when jake is lying on the couch and cisco comes in yeah. and sort of gets over him it's it's i <laughs> when i was watching it my girlfriend came in and was sat down for a minute and, and she goes is that his dad like, yeah he does that he just sees that way with everybody <laughs> it's awkward we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more but i'm gonna play an audio clip me and claire are gonna come back and we're gonna break down the abandoned i've just spoken with starfleet command they want to make sure he's healthy enough to travel and then send him to Starbase 201, where he'll be handed over to a team of specialists. Sounds good to me. The sooner the better. What sort of specialist are we talking about, Commander? There will be a complete team of xenobiologists and exopsychologists waiting for him. So they're going to study him like a laboratory specimen? Well, he'll be very well treated. So he'll be a well-treated specimen? I have to agree with Odo, Commander. We can't just ship him off like some biological sample that we found. He's a sentient life form. True, but the founders could have removed his sense of free will. He may be nothing more than a genetically programmed killing machine. I agree, and we don't want one of them walking around the station. Fine. If you want answers about the Jem'Hadar, I'm the one who can find them for you. Let me get to know him. I'll be responsible for his conduct while he's here. So the uh, the Jake thing is a little bit of a nod toward continuity because Jake had actually mentioned that he was dating this girl in an episode last season, I think. But this is the first time. I was 100% sure that that was going to be some sort of dream sequence. Oh, really? Like that that opening with 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 at the, the, the craps table or whatever. And like he's hanging out, having a drink and like giving the googly eyes to this woman who are like hitting him right back. Yeah, I was 100% sure that was going to be like a holodeck sequence or something. 
like the the Star Trek equivalent of my girlfriend goes to a different school is like, well, you can meet her, but you have to meet us on holodeck three. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's, he's Jake is going to be turned into like Reginald Barkley 2.0. Essentially, he's yeah, like a more exactly. grounded version of that. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> you have you have to meet me on holodeck three and you have to dress like a musketeer. It's bizarre, although it ties into it's a little bit odd. It, you know, it, it reminds me strongly of the the reaction that Commander Cisco has is it's kind of similar to when Jake befriended a Ferengi. Like Cisco's trying to sort of guide Jake and maybe he's being a little controlling. I don't think he is. Like I think his I actually think that he is a little bit too forgiving of this relationship at the end mm. when he's just, when he gives it his blessing. She's she's way too old for him and she's basically she's basically like a like a in universe they basically seem to be like acknowledged as prostitutes, you know? Like <laughs> why it's not just that she's a blackjack dealer. You know, everyone, no one, no one in the real world would be like, oh, you're dating a blackjack dealer. That's absurd. <laughs> um, she seems, there seems to be some sort of sexual if you're component. Six, if you're 16 and you say, I'm dating a blackjack dealer, people are going to say, what? <laughs> well, he, he is a hustler. So I think it makes sense in this yeah. uh, case. But it's all about Cisco learning about Jake. And, you know, the Dabo girl thing ties into what is the continually talked about this in the last episode. This season is all about identity. And this episode is about the identity, figuring out the identity that's going on in the A plot, which is what Odo's going on. But here it's about the Dabo girl not lining up with what Cisco has prematurely thought of her as. Like she is she is a more well-rounded and together person than Cisco thought she was going to be because of her profession. Basically, that's the point. She And she opens her eye, his eyes to some things about Jake that he is unaware of at this point. So it's about like not being, uh, you can't judge a book by its cover is basically the mm-hmm. theme here. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you want to keep talking about Jake? Do you have anything else you want to say? Or do you want to move into the actual plot of the episode? Because the Jake stuff is pretty disconnected from what goes on in the rest of the episode. Yeah, no, I think we pretty much covered that. I mean, it's awkward. It's, it's weird. It's <laughs> the the one thing I want to say. This is the first mention of Jake having a uh, literary interest, which is going to be uh, something. Yeah, they build on. I, I did want to talk about that. Um, first of he all, writes poetry. Yeah. Um, so they were in school together as well, because he makes it. Doesn't he make reference to Mrs. O'Brien saying that her writing was good? And she's like, oh, but your poetry is really good. Weren't they both like writers or something? No, I, there's. I don't oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I misinterpreted that. It was just him and she liked his poetry. Yeah, but she likes his poetry. That's still my question still remains, which is uh, when I forget who it was suggests that he should get some he should get it published. There's still publishing in Star Trek. Like, are there <laughs> literary agents in the Star Trek universe? <laughs> I'm I maybe. Well, maybe that's a good thing. There's a, um, on, I'm, I'm concerned. I worry or not worry. I think about this in real life. There seems to be, you know, maybe <coughs> as someone as you're like yourself, who's more involved in publishing, I, I constantly wonder, wonder about why authors look for, uh, publishing when doesn't Amazon just self publish. I think you're, I think you're uh, you're choking in the background, but the yep, doesn't sorry. doesn't um I'll I'll explain what I'm talking about as you collect yourself. Doesn't Amazon allows people to upload and publish their own books? So yes, outside of marketing, what holds does a publishing company like besides the prestige of being published by someone? It doesn't hold you back from getting your stuff out there on some level. No, 
No, it's mostly uh, it's distribution is a big thing. Um, marketing is a big thing. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know how how much this applies, but I'm gonna say it probably applies. There's a certain um, even if you don't want to admit it. I think there's a certain uh, quality marker that comes along with being published yeah, from sure. a, a real company. Yeah. Uh, saying, you know, for instance, um, you really need to read my cousin's book that he self-published is going to... It's a tough bar to get over. Yeah. yeah. Th- th- it's going to elicit a much more uh, deeper eye roll than if it's, uh, you need to read my cousin's book that was put out by Simon and Schuster or sure. something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's easier than ever. I mean, the, the, the biggest piece of advice that I try to give people when they ask me about comics is just, you know, just start doing it because there's nothing that's going to stop you from putting that's, that's how I started. I started publishing my own book. Yeah. Um, you know, you do that and, uh, that usually, well, I mean, if you do it well enough, hopefully that will lead you into more, uh, either a large independent career or into something a little bit more uh uh traditional but uh yeah it's i mean it's easier than ever to, to publish stuff and there's really not there's nothing stopping anybody from doing it but yeah not having anything stop you from doing it uh how do i put this um might make you a little bit more in denial about your own uh, skill level yes yeah I, I i think i'd agree with that i i just i think it's prescient just because we um i feel like i came of age during that transition and yeah. i when i was in college i wanted to do something more uh creative and i was had it built in i was like oh well i need to you need to go to you need to go to where these jobs are and you know, if I if I had been five years younger, I think I would have just been. Well, you can do it on YouTube, or you can do right, it yourself. Yeah. Like the, we we just came about on the turn there, where I don't think it's as necessary. Um, to sort of you you don't need that infrastructure. I guess is the big change that's been made. Um, yeah, I I, I mean and that stuff changed so fast. Too. It did change like, fast. It, yeah. Um, like I, I think the same thing too. Like I, I, if if we had if I had been five years younger, I think my approach probably would have been a little bit different. Like it ended up because uh, when I started doing comics, I started doing it. I tried to go the more traditional route, and I quickly or not so quickly realized that y- yeah, you got to do something. You got to kind of forge your own path a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, as as uh, someone I forget who was once said um every time every everybody has their own way of breaking into comics but once one person does that they wall up that door so you have to find another way to do it like nobody gets in the same way they don't want to actually give people jobs they're just like how did all these people get in here yeah and even like i mean i felt like i went to school i went to art school at a very weird time too because i when i was in college uh my teachers didn't even know how to handle digital art students like yeah, yeah. we had maybe one or two in each class. And I remember like when we would do our critiques and stuff, the teacher would be like, uh, I don't know. Can you, pr- can you print it out or something? You know, like, and now I, I recently talked to a teacher of mine. And he's like, it's about 75% all digital. Yeah. Um, so that stuff changes and it changes. I, I remember not that we're going, you know, going way off topic here, but, uh, the big marker for me was when I, when I got to college, the one, like one thing that they kept drilling in was, See this thing here? This is going to save your life. 
This is called a zip drive. <laughs> you need to get... <laughs> It doesn't always work. It fails a lot, and it's expensive. But if you want to make it through, you need to get one of these because it can hold five hundred megabytes. A, yeah, five hundred <laughs> megabytes of, of you're whatever. Never, you're never going to fill it up. It's absurd how much space yeah. they put on this. And then, like by the time I was out of college, flash drives existed. You know, like I I just used CDs. I was burning stuff to CDs, and then by the time we were out of college, flash drives had either just come out or were just starting to become mainstream. Yep. So it's like that stuff changes so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and as to kind of to hook back when when uh, as we were talking about this, I was thinking like if if this show was made now, it would have been like, oh, Jake, your blog is so good. Yeah, <laughs> your space blog. That's the I mean, the and even in the universe of Trek, you can do kind of whatever you want as long as you're within the, the boundaries of the Federation. Um, but Jake, Jake discovering what he wants to do is a big part of his characterization going forward. And this is the first time that they mention he has a literary interest, um, which is fine. So we're done talking about Jake, Cisco, and... Uh, Let's talk about how old we are. And going, going to college in the, the mid or the early 2000s or whenever it happened. Let's Back when we went to college, there was only one war going on. <laughs> we, have to, you, we used to actually have to leave our dorm rooms instead of logging on to the online website where the class was taught. Um, yeah, I remember when I started hearing about that, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. We don't we, even have to go anywhere anymore. We did it. It was so I, I was at like the, the start of that. And it was so rudimentary. It's basically like you download a uh, podcast like and listen to it. Yeah. And that's the online class. Um, it was, maybe the first podcast was an online class. But anyway, let's get back to it. Uh, we have the abandoned here, which is my about, problem with kids. No, sorry. <laughs> the abandoned is. The reintroduction of the Jem'Hadar. We learn... I was surprised you learn a lot about the Jem'Hadar, and a lot of the information that they tell you here is going to be how the Jem'Hadar are set up going forward. Um, you can kind of ignore... You know, remember in the Jem'Hadar episode, Clay, where they were overpowered and they sort of seemed a little bit odd? This this is... How they describe the Jem'Hadar here is how they're going to be for the rest of the series. Um, are they all... Um... <clears throat> Uh, hyper-aged like that? Or yes. I don't know what the word is, but yeah, quickly they, aged they are. They, they yeah. age quickly. And they, so, you know, it makes sense for a soldier class, right? They need replacements. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah it's, that's actually really smart because, I mean, yeah, you, you get them into the uh, uh, rebellious teenage years as quickly as possible. And while you're doing that, you're like, you know what you should do? You should fucking kill these people over yeah. here. Like, yes! <laughs> um, the, how to, how to go about this. I think that, I had mentioned on the previous episode that I thought that uh, Second Skin was a better episode, but I prefer watching The Abandoned. Mm-hmm. I think The Abandoned feels like a first draft on some level. I think that the pacing is way off and the plot structure, it's one of those stories that takes too long to get going and then the resolution happens too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind that, but I love I love the episode for what it is talking about. And I love the episode because... Uh, if you remember, TNG had an episode called I Borg, where the crew found a, a lone Borg and they bring him back and they re, uh, they sort of fix him up and they give him a sense of individuality that he was missing right. from the Borg. And then they send him back to the collective. And he's immediately killed. Right. This is this is the uh, <laughs> this is the DS9 version of that story. And mm-hmm. it's a totally different outcome. And I love the final shot of this. Odo comes back and says to Kira about the boy. You were right. Um, yeah, yeah. This is what's interesting about this is that 
I think the episode really highlights why the Dominion are terrifying and they're different from the Borg. Well, the, the Borg are more terrifying on a zombie level. They're coming to get you. The Dominion are terrifying because of what this episode says is you just can't reason with them. And it's not because they're a Borg single mindedness where you just can't talk to them because the Borg <laughs> aren't interested in what you're talking about. The Dominion just can't be the Jem'Hadar at least can't be rationalized they're not going to come around to your way of thinking this is a totally different um philosophy that's going on on the other side of the wormhole and despite odo being a little bit um psychologically kira accuses him of thinking with his heart not his head here which is exactly what he's doing odo it's a great odo episode because it shows that odo wants to be a changeling like he, he, it starts him off with his new apartment where he's like, I can change into all these shapes. It's very reminiscent of the search where they had that sort of botanical garden where I was coming different things. But Odo strongly, strongly does not want to be a founder, which is a difference between the mm-hmm. two things. He wants to be a changeling. He does not want to be the founder. And his, this episode is an, ex, uh, an examination of that. I think it's fairly effective for it. But what would you think? Well, I wish Kira had been more accurate and said, Oda, you're thinking with your lower blob, not your upper blob. <laughs> you're thinking with the gelatinous middle and not your... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I... Um, the the Hadar thing, I thought was a great twist on what I was expecting to be a stinker of an episode. Um, because anytime they find a child, I was just... I was like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those. Um, it just... It screams... It screamed early... TNG early Deep Space Nine. So when they tied him into being a Gem Hadar, I was way more interested, and I think that was a great choice. Um, yeah, you learn a lot about them, and it's it's that rapid aging thing is cool because it it allows you to see that their uh, violent nature and all of their their um, disposition, uh, yeah, is is genetic it's just that's just how they are yeah and yeah you can't you're not going to be able to teach it out i mean you know maybe if given enough time odo could have gotten through to him but clearly they are so caustic that they're going that you know he he was he wasn't going to allow that he needed to get back to his people and uh you know reject everything as quickly as possible i even Um, wonder about that because I, I think the episode gets around that where you're saying that maybe he could break through. I think that you can't break through. And I think that the yeah. only the only reason that Odo makes a little bit of headway is because the Jem'Hadar have been genetically engineered to revere the founders. The only reason that he listens to Odo is because Odo is a changeling and he's been sort yeah. of he's been genetically altered to do that. So the the headway that Odo makes is only because he's a founder and he doesn't even really make that much headway with him. He, he just kind of gets him to mildly agree with him for a little bit. And then he's like, no, I'd fuck you as well. Like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think I think probably the best you could hope would be to tame them, not to domesticate them. Yeah. To put it that way. Yeah. Where uh, I don't know if they're ever going <clears> to <throat> truly not be not want to, you know, claw your face off at the first chance they get. Yeah. And the. You know, there's a there's a there's a lot that we learn here. I'll just go through it just so that we get it out of the way. But it's they are genetically engineered. The founders genetically engineer uh, some species. Uh, the Jemadar are one of them. They are genetically programmed with a reverence for the founders, which they'll expand on, and that they're also genetically engineered to be addicted to this protein that they can't get uh, from anywhere else except for the founders. 
Um, thoughts on the devel- thoughts on the Jem'Hadar as they stand now. Did any of that stick out as kind of interesting, or just sort of stock standard stuff that you would have been expecting <laughs> for this group? No, I liked it. Um, the protein thing was weird. Uh, does that come into play later? That seemed like an odd. It's a huge part of them. It's a huge oh, it okay. part. Of the, and it's funny because they've actually, I don't know if you noticed it, the Jem'Hadar we've seen all had that little tube going into their neck. So they, they'd been planning for it for a while. I, I didn't remember it, but I did think that. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's something they added or if that's always been there. So it, if it's always been there, all right, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's been there. But yeah, no, I thought, I thought it was, uh, uh, I thought it was a great way to 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 get into the minds of the Jem Hadar because I, I don't know how else you would be able to do that unless you did like you know a duet type episode where they capture one and they just speak at length with somebody, which is going to be terrible because that's not really what those guys do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, seeing it this way and seeing how quickly they um uh fall into their rage cycle kind of thing and and learning about them through basically physicals uh as it's growing up super fast i thought it was good i thought it was a great way to uh to get to get to know more about them yeah um i mean that the the i received a bear show running at this point said we wanted to keep the gem hadar alive in the series but not do another battle fight show the trouble with coming up with a villain is that they lose their ability to strike fear in your heart if you're able to kick their ass too quickly Oh, 100%. My, the, the thing I always used to say about sequels is that um, uh, when, when you have a sequel featuring the same villain, there's either more of them or they're smarter, but not both because that's too hard. Right. So yeah. it, when there's more of them, they become easier to kill for some reason. And that goes for like everything. Like any, anything I've ever seen where they introduce one monster or species or something that's just like unbeatable yeah the next time it shows up and it's like oh my god there's five of them it's like yes. well now every time you, know, you got to do is tap them and they explode aliens is the the prime aliens, example yes yeah, yeah. And, they um, did that on buffy the vampire slayer too where like they introduced this like unkillable vampire and then so, so the first one that showed up it took them like three episodes just to kill one of them and then by the end of the season they were just like killing them at ra- like completely on mass yeah yeah the uh the the trek analogy would be the borg basically after you beat the borg in best of both worlds it's really tough to have them in an episode where you need to fight them again right Uh, yeah and so i you know it kind of makes sense because i mean if it's that hard to beat them the first time it's like well they're gonna come back and they're probably gonna win the second time right if they came Uh, back with this if two borg ships came back the federation would be in trouble it's that exactly yeah yeah it's a it's a weird thing to i i've always thought about that too like I don't know how you avoid that or or get around it. I'm sure there is a way, but it's it's it seems to be so constant in movies and television that and and stories in general that I I wonder what the answer is to how you get around it. Well, I, I think that DS9 takes a little bit of a change. It doesn't it doesn't take that unbeatable juggernaut idea because I don't the the Jem'Hadar are not an unbeatable juggernaut. They are just ferocious and uncontrollable, right? So mm-hmm. They they've fixed it by it's not a Borg type threat. It is a threat that feels more on par with what the Federation is, except it's an enemy that is all of the enemies and all of the antagonists that Star Trek has dealt with at this point 
are basically humans who have a different point of view on some level. Like it's, right. it's not a totally different perspective that you're dealing with. It's always, well, you can eventually reason with the Klingons. You can reason with the Cardassians. You can reason with the Romulans. They're just, they're, sli- they're humans who are slightly more angry and maybe being a little bit more devious towards you. This episode's a little bit different and it breaks it. It calls down the, it's a very cynical DS9 take on the biology and the like deterministic aspects of this universe. And, you know, some I'm one of the things I wanted to ask you was there is criticism of this episode that says it's uncomfortably racist. And it goes into the the fact that, uh, you know, it's a it's a black actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco has who's playing the Jem'Hadar. <clears throat> Cisco has said that he saw it as a sort of coming of age of black youth who are dealing with a society that is fearful of them. That's how he approached it. He directed it. Right. Um, the and then the, the resolution to come out of it is that you just can't change these people. So mm-hmm. I under, my point of view here is that I understand why you'd be uncomfortable by this. However, the since it's a sci fi show. I, I, I feel like it's more it's not about the race of. It's not about the race of the aliens here as much as the idea that some some deterministic aspect is like impossible to change around and it's it's not it's more racist when you're dealing with humans because we're all kind of on the same level where it's saying this is a totally different thing in this story so while it's well it feels like it could potentially be racist i i think you have to like draw that conclusion from it and i don't know if it's actually innately part of the story which is kind of what like code of honor and tng suffered from like right the, the script is not racist but the way that they produced that episode made it racist which is uh, which is too bad for that show but i think it's i think there's a subtle difference there i guess and while you could draw the conclusion that this is uncomfortably close to white people sort of viewing like the you know this is happening during the la riots and everything white people looking down and saying well these black people are never going to be any, any better than this and they're just violent uh, thugs or whatever if the episode had said something like that, I'd be like, well, this is clearly racist. But the fact that it's a sci-fi story kind of detaches it a little bit for me. I although I don't know what the writers of the episode are actually thinking. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you could look at it under the same umbrella, too. Is like, what if that's kind of the point? Is that it is uncomfortably racist? Yep. You know, like, why... They... So you're saying that the, the resolution should be looking, looked on... The resolution of the Starfleet actor, uh, characters at the end of the series should be taken as like a um, something to be criticized. Is it what could. You're yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you could look at that same progression if you're if you're viewing the Jem Hadar uh, uh, child as as the uh, how did you describe it? How did Avery Brooks describe it? Black youth, like growing up in a white America, basically. Yeah, and doesn't that make it that much more cynical if the takeaway is that these people can't be changed? Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's that's the viewpoint of the supposed hero or the supposed savior character. Um, I think I think it very could well be uncomfortably racist, and I don't think that could necessarily. Uh, I, I, I think, I think what your characters do in a story aren't necessarily supposed to be literal translations of how you feel about the world. Yeah, sure. Or how you know, like, uh, so. I, those characters very easily could be racist and that could be kind of the point. Um, whether it is or it isn't, I don't know. But uh, um, 
Well, I do think it's an inter- interesting way to look at it. It ties into the the Ferengi thing, right? Which is the show is kind of examining that Cisco's relationship with the Ferengi and everything is he's seen it as very. Yeah. Um, he's he's told that he's being racist towards the Ferengi, which is a little bit more understandable because we've seen good. Everybody's Ferengi. fucking racist towards right. right. <laughs> the Ferengi. <laughs> but I think I think I mentioned in the previous episode when you have a monoculture. It's tough to call it racism towards that group. Like in TNG, if all the Ferengi act that way, you're kind of like, well, it's understandable not to like these people because they're kind of idiots and they, they're really obnoxious. Mm-hmm. But obviously, real life isn't a monoculture like that. However, the Jem'Hadar that we've seen to this point are a monoculture. They've been programmed to be a monoculture. There is no Jem'Hadar who is like, you know what? I'm not going to fight. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think kind of kind of going on what you're saying about code of honor i think i think it becomes problematic if there's a certain ignorance in terms of the way that it was handled and i don't feel that here right like i think i don't think that they were trying to make a point or something about uh racism on one way or the other where you can come away thinking like uh this is actually racist because they didn't really think this through like i I think I think here it's just you can chalk it up to that's just the way the characters are acting. I, I don't think that it it doesn't feel like they are trying to make a point the way something like Code of Honor might have been. Sure. And we're also, you know, we're not officially at war yet with the Dominion, mm-hmm. but it's a you could kind of view it as just a prelude to not understanding your enemy. Like they're they're, they're right. already sort of dehumanizing their enemy. And and also I was just going to say I find that actually really interesting if, you know, you've got the so you've got the Federation who is all about supposedly uh, diplomacy and unity and all this kind yeah. of inclusiveness. Yeah. What happens if you end up meeting a race or a, uh, 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 well, I guess race of people or race of alien who you can't do that with? Like, what do you do? How, do, how does the Federation deal with that? Do, do they... And how does that reflect on the Federation based on how they choose to deal with it? Right. And it's a it's not a computer program gone wild, which is what the Borg kind of are. It's right, a right. it's a more personal thing. The the Borg threat is totally different. The Borg threat is a very TNG approach to it, where the Borg are not human. You know, they're they're a computer program that's gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh they're zombies essentially. So killing them is not a big deal. The the Dominion are different. They are a a group of sentient functioning humanoids that uh, have a totally different perspective to it. And I I think that the dealing with it is a tough part for the Federation. Yeah. And I think, I think the tough part about maybe where it feels like it might come off a little racist is that it's Odo who's making that distinction because Odo's entire thing is that he is trying to, like you're saying, he doesn't want to be a founder. He does. He wants to be his own person. He wants to prove that he can be different. And he he needs, he needs the founders to be, he he needs to he he's kind of trying to get rid of the fascist tendencies within himself. He's trying to say that right. he's better than that. Right. Like he, there's no if and if he can't fix this Jem'Hadar, what does that mean for him as a founder? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I could see I could see someone reading that this character who is championing the uh, uh nature versus nurture kind of thing or I could I should say Championing nurture versus nature, um, coming away and saying like you just you can't do anything with these people. I can see that coming off as maybe tone deaf or something. But again, 
I don't know. Maybe uh, that's that's a pretty huge thing for him to say. And yeah. how does that affect him going forward? I mean, does that's if if I, if that were me and I came to that dis- decision or or distinction, um, that would be pretty pretty tough on me. I think I would be pretty soul crushing. Yeah, I I I think in line with that, what you're saying is more that it's not about judgment of the Jem Hadar as much as Odo. Odo's sort of being upset that he failed with his attempt here. Like he, he's he's almost more upset with himself and worried about what that might mean for him than it actually does for the Jim Hadar. Like he's just he exactly. can't he can't yeah. get the end result that he wants, so he's more defeated than it is a well. You just can't work with these people. He's not, he's not like sort yeah. of blasé about it. He's more upset yeah. that what it means for himself. And, and I think the fact that it's him who's saying we can't we just can't work with these people is is where some of that uh, uh, racist uh, inference might come from because he, like traditionally you would need a character to be like, well, we can't just give up on these people or whatever, whatever. And he was that character. And so to have him turn, it's like, all right, maybe, maybe they are being, uh, I, I could see that. I could see that coming across as, as a little bit like insensitive. Yeah. But yeah. again, I think it's a I think it's a big deal for him to come to that conclusion and is not necessarily uh doesn't necessarily re- reflect on the intentions of the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. I um I agree. It's it's continuing the Or whole- who knows, maybe it's super racist, I don't know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> they did fifty takes of Odo saying that until they got the fifty first where it didn't sound racist, and they're like, We'll yeah. go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a, the show is continues to be obsessed with identity, which we mentioned before is basically a meta criticism of the Federation at this point. I think that this mm-hmm. is not particularly, you know, Odo Odo ties into this kid because he himself was raised as a lab specimen. He doesn't want that to happen to this Jem Hadar. Um, he wants to break away of he doesn't want to be a founder. He wants there to be some way for him to escape his genetic disposition, which we talked about previously. Odo, before he even met his people, shared their tendencies towards life. Like he, his perspective was of the founder's view on life, uh, which is basically you need to control people. You need to have rules. You need to not it, people's, you know, quote unquote rights don't matter as much as being secure in yourself. And he ended up as a security chief kind of fittingly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jem Hadar thing is just a. Odo seeing that and getting very worried about his state of being here and trying to fix something, trying to prove that there is a way to get around what he thinks of himself and uh, unfortunately failing at the very end through this Jem'Hadar. My my problem with the episode is the Jem'Hadar doesn't... It's because he's young and the way that the char- those characters are conceived, they're not philosophical about it. You know what I mean? It's There's no Star Trek-y inference about why he continues to be this way. He kind of annoyingly says, I just want to return to my people. I just want to go back to my people over and over again. And I I think it makes sense for how the Jem'Hadar is supposed to be. They're not supposed to be great thinkers. Uh, But I would have liked a little bit more of a pushback from that kid, even though it wouldn't have made sense in the context of everything, because him suddenly being an intellectual talking about this maybe doesn't fit that characterization very well. Yeah, I mean, he's like a week old right Right. yeah i mean obviously they've accelerated his brain to some point but i mean i I don't think it's too much to to believe that he's still a limited 
limited uh, uh, limited intellectual capacity. I mean, the founders wouldn't want that in the first place, right? If you're breeding right, this yeah. super soldier, you don't necessarily want them questioning what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Th- those are pretty much the main takeaways. I don't think it's a great... I don't think it's a great episode, mostly because the pacing is wrong. Did you have any qualms with that, or did you think it was okay? Um, I think it's funny that you don't realize it's an Odo story until, like, the second act. Yeah, I actually, in my notes, I wrote down the baby thing as the B-plot, which, I at at first, I was as it was going on, I was like, wow, they're actually doing, like, three different plots in this, because they got the baby B-plot, and then the thing with the uh, Jake's girlfriend. Yeah. And then I was thinking, wait a minute. No, that's the only thing that's happening in this episode. That's that is the a plot. Is the is the baby thing? But yeah, the way they, it's it's so um, uh, uh, I don't know. It just feels like a b plot from from most of the other types of shows. Uh, um, to have a this baby thing be a b plot until it turns into a very clear a plot because of who the baby turns out to be. You know what I like about the baby plot? I love the way that it fleshes out Cisco. As a father. Yeah. Um, it's a scene that you couldn't do with Picard. I like the thing where he's walking, I think he's walking with Dax explaining like, uh, just, uh, you know, being, I guess it's, you know, I hate to be that person. It's like identity politics of being a parent, but like Cisco's line about, you just want to go back to a time where lifting them over your head makes them laugh. Yeah. Uh, I think that really works. It's re- that was a really well-written thing. Even when he's holding the baby, you get a sense that Cisco actually is a father. You know, mm. like imagine Picard holding that baby would have been a little bit of oh, a different yeah. thing. He uh, would have had a nice uh, squirmy scowl. On his face. <laughs> right. So I, I like that. That's a it's a scene in a story that even if it's so brief, allows you to get a little bit of a sense of Cisco and remind you that he is actually a father um, and he's been there before. Mm. Um, I uh, I liked I really liked the stuff with Odo and Kira. I thought that their scenes were good in this episode. Yep. Yep. Um we get the scene where they're in his new apartment basically is interesting. She gives him the flowers. She, she did voice the same thing that I was thinking. And actually my girlfriend said, which is why do you need all that room? If you just got a bucket, <laughs> he's past the bucket. We should mention that. Right. Odo, yeah. Odo, yeah. This is a big change for him, right? Meeting the founders has uh, caused him to shed the somewhat embarrassing thing that he needs a bucket because that was always previously brought up as kind of like, wow, is an Odo kind of a freak weirdo who needs this bucket to sleep in? Uh, do you think, do you think that, uh, I couldn't tell if the floor was carpeted, but I feel like he he should not have a carpet on his floor. Yeah. (laughs) He need, um, he needs some tightly placed linoleum, I think, to yes. be to be yeah. comfortable uh, for Odo. Unfortunately, yeah, I, 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 it's probably carpeted. They always have space carpeting and stuff. Although it the, would be great if they just cut to like a uh, uh, a six by eight piece of uh, plastic wrap on the floor, and he's like, "This is my bed." Yeah, <laughs> he's laying down seductively, like Cisco yeah. laying down with Jake. <laughs> and on. this is where the magic happens. <laughs> and I like the um. I like the Kira stuff. I like their final scene. I like the scene where Odo tries to put a smile on his face to make the Jemadar smile. It's very funny. Yeah, it reminds uh, me of that. Do you ever see that cut scene from Terminator 2 where uh, John Connor teaches the Terminator how to yeah, smile? To, to smile. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, but that's about it. I, well, I did like I, I I you know I like the Kira stuff a lot, and I also like that they they keep up the trope, the television trope of having an intimate conversation while people very uh, um. 
aggressively walk between you for some reason. Yeah. Yes. Like there's, <laughs> they couldn't have taken like a step to the left. <laughs> no one says excuse me. They had to me. have this. They had to have this conversation like very tightly packed in front of the only like passageway between these two rooms. <laughs> so people have to just like very awkwardly squeeze between them. Yeah, that's a that's a good. It's always a funny di- director's decision. He's like, I need more people walking through. This is a space well, station. Well, it's like, I guess I can only imagine it's like a blocking thing. It's like where you've got you've got a lot of dialogue that you have to get out. So you, you don't want to just have two people talking. So how do you break that up? It's like, well, if we have people passing through or, you know, passing between them, it kind of it kind of breaks the monotony of two yeah. people just standing in a room talking to each other. Adds, adds ever so slightly some action to your sequence here instead of just uh, one shot, two shot, back and forth over and over I again. Wish, I wish I could do that in comics. I would do it all the time. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I think we should uh, we'll call it a day there. We'll play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to give our final thoughts. We'll read some patron thoughts, and then we will wrap this one up. Major. About the boy. You were right. All right, guys. So if you support the show on Patreon.com, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. We'll do that for the abandoned right now. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, seen this kind of episode before. We'll see it again. An above average example, but whether one-offs, they always end unsatisfyingly. What do you think, Clay? Do you agree with that? I don't know if I would agree with that, actually. I think I disagree, but I I don't think that's the point of this episode. I I feel like in a TNG series, these one-offs... Reject his membership. Yeah, to refund the money. Um, Don't do that. I think think in a uh, TNG series, these seem more unsatisfying, Uh, but here, the kid leaving at the end is kind of the point. Yeah. I think this ending is much more satisfying than uh, the wrap-up to the last episode. Two-second skin, um, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I like the Kira scene with the dad, but, like, I think the the climax of this where he's trying to get off the the, the station and, and, and having that uh, um, kind of downer of an ending, I think, is... is I, fairly satisfying. Did you, did you get the impression that Odo was offering to leave with him for good? I think he... I think he would have. You would have? Okay. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, I would... I don't know. I guess it depends on how much you believe that, you know, he's kind of staking his own future on, on, this, on this one kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have bought Odo leaving, but I think that's what he was kind of trying to offer at the end. I don't know if that's just him in a particularly desperate position. He needed it to work at that point. Yeah. And he's willing to go that far. Let's put it this way. If Odo leaves, he well, obviously he can't, but uh, he can't say this, but if Odo leaves, he doesn't say there's no helping these people. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that's kind of the cutoff. It's like, if he believed that he could get through to this kid, he probably would have left with him. Yeah. You almost get the sense of wondering what happened on the runabout that they leave in. Like Odo came back kind of a little bit shaken. Maybe they even had another scene that uh, really, I I feel like that's kind of the pacing issue. Like if you would push the story back an act, you could have had the final scene be the Jem'Hadar and Odo on the runabout at the very end. Yeah. And there would have been some sort of closure for Odo realizing what was going on there. Um, I think it's fine the way it is. Everything was fine and good until the Jem'Hadar reached the age of Ponfar. 
And then Odo needed to get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> Odo comes back with just a hole in his head. Um, <laughs> his so, head if he's lucky. <laughs> Matthew Ross says, Abandoned. So clearly Quark has never heard of due diligence. Regardless to me, this was the episode to introduce an Achilles heel to the Jem'Hadar. Quickly, I reference some words from Dune here. And I can't help but keep thinking that Jake needs to stop. Quizette's Hatterack. I can't keep can't uh, help but keep thinking Jake needs to do start shopping at the retired stop shop stop shopping at the retired airline seat cover store. Kudos to Spinobi on Discord. Also, the teenage fantasy of dating above one station. Cute, but what a mismatched pair. And the Jem'Hadar is right. The peace and love of the Federation and gang will need to become more openly hostile and on guard as opposed to bubbly and cloy like root beer. Everybody just forgot to read a patron comment, as I sometimes do. This one is from Holly McLaughlin. The Abandoned. Love the Odo focus and how it shows us what Odo truly values as an individual. The depth of the Founder's depravity in genetically engineering a race of slaves to serve as both their cannon fodder and enforcers is really startling to show, as shown to us by this child's programming, evident so immediately after his birth. Thank you very much, Holly. It is. It's true. They're dealing with something they can't really understand. Only two for that one. People don't really seem to, uh, didn't have much to say about the abandoned. But, Clegg, final thoughts. What'd you think of this one? And compare it to Second Skin on how you'd rank it, because I'm interested about that, that sort of clash. Um, I think my, I would rank this one a three, and I think it's the reverse of what you said about them. I would rather watch Second Skin again than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's my own bias. I like those kind of, you know, uh, twisty prisoner type episodes a little bit more. I find those more fun to revisit than this one, is, yeah, even though this yeah. one has some good stuff in it. Yeah, I think that maybe I like this one just for I was kind of surprised by how much establishment. I think you watch this one only when Amy's not around. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gazing now at my uh, Marda wallpaper on my uh, computer here and just saying, "Oh yeah, that's nice, nice Dabo girl." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very sexually uncomfortable episode, but the, I, I think that I like it just for. I was surprised by how much establishing they do. I don't think it's a a great episode. I'm gonna give it a three as well, um, and I'll. I, I think we're a little bit flipped. There, I think that's an interesting sort of distinction between us. Where I'd I'd probably watch this one, even though I acknowledge that Second Skin is a better episode. Um, Do you think that Bill Hader, if he ever has a daughter, should name her Jim? <laughs> and would that be like a huge signal to how big of a nerd he might be? I, I, I <laughs> Jim Hadar. Um, yeah, I I think that uh, I think he should, and I would prefer if he didn't know what it actually meant, and everyone kept referencing it, and he was very confused about actually everything going on. But what if you find out his other son's name is Darmok? I feel like that's a pretty <laughs> pretty clear. Um, that's about it, guys. We're both going to give it a three. Thank you very much. You can go to the social media links on the uh, podcast description to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. The captain tier there, Stephen Cobb, Andrew Kirillog, Matthew Cutler, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Spassiani, Neil Brennan, Kerry Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tarek Latif. Guys, thank you very much. Clay, we got to call it a day here. I think we're at the end of our time, but thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You'll be back. Uh, people were requesting that you appear on the Defiant episode, which is coming up. So you'll be back for that. And I knew we. Well, I can't looks like re- I'll be renegotiating my contract in the run up to that episode. Why? That's 
that's right. You probably won't understand it because people like you just will never change. But yeah, we will. We will go back. You to know it. what? That's accurate. <laughs> I was having my major Kira scene at the end there. Um, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back with another episode in a couple of days. But until then, have a good one. <laughs>